Okay, uh, welcome everyone. Good afternoon. My name is Gyan Pampani and I'm the host of this podcast, Entrepreneurial Insights. This afternoon, we are here with cybersecurity success, Dr. Neil Daswani, an alumni of the prestigious universities, Columbia and Stanford. He went on, uh, he went on to pursue his, uh, his dreams and he's, bro- he's written many books, his most famous being Big, Big Breaches, a novel which gives everyone an insight on the, on, into the biggest data breaches of our century. Without further ado, without further ado, I would like to introduce Mr. Neil Daswani. Thank you, John, for having me. Thrilled to be here and look forward to having a, a good uh, discussion today. Yeah, same here. Uh, so I would like to start off with my first question, which is how does your doctorate degree help you in daily life? Sure. So you know, if you ask many uh, folks that have gotten doctorate degrees, you might hear all kinds of different answers to that, to that question. Uh, I'll give you mine. I feel that some of the key skills that I learned when I pursued my doctorate degree was to um, how to write, how to reason, how to present, how to persuade, how to analyze. Um, those, those, I think, are the, the key skills. A lot of people go for doctorate degrees if they're interested in research and or teaching. Uh, and I think, you know, if you have interests in either of those areas, a doctoral degree is very worthwhile to, to pursue. Um, I would also uh, say, though, that, you know, the kind of skills that I mentioned that I use on a day-to-day basis, how to write, how to reason, how to persuade, how to give presentations, those kinds of things, you can actually learn those in many ways. Uh, a doctoral degree is not the only way to learn those skills. Uh, so the, that's, the, that's the quick answer for how I use my doctoral degree on a day-to-day basis. Well, that's, that, that's really interesting. Um, I've, I've, I'm, uh, it's it's uh, it's really uh, interesting to know that you use it or, or you have many uses for it. You know, like and it's and it's unique as well, right? Uh, like uh, like you said, many people pursue it for um, for teaching, and you pursue it for just it becoming a better individual overall. Uh, this leads into my next question. Um, can you give us some insight into the biggest breaches of our century and how they have impacted our daily life? Referring to your book, The Big Breaches. Sure, sure. I'd be happy to talk about some of the biggest data breaches. So let me just first mention that over the past 15 years, there have been over 9,000 reported data breaches. Um, and uh, the, the big breaches continue. Um, you know, just most recently at the tail end of 2020, uh, with the SolarWinds hack, there was an attack on nine different government agencies through a software company called SolarWinds. Um, there also just recently, just a couple uh, months ago, there was an attack against the colonial uh, oil pipeline um, in which a bunch of folks that uh, deployed ransomware were able to shut down the operations of that oil pipeline for about a week until they had to pay a ransom of almost $5 million. Um, so th- those, are, those are two examples. To just give two more, the, the largest data breach in terms of the number of accounts exposed to breach was the Yahoo breaches that were announced back in 2016, in which what the attackers did is they, they used phishing and malware to, to compromise Yahoo, uh, but they also reverse engineered Yahoo's cookie generation algorithm. And so what they were able to do is log into any Yahoo account at will, uh, just knowing the email address without knowing the password at all. So that's been the biggest breach in the history of the internet, um, looking at the number of accounts exposed. Uh, as, as we know, cloud secure, cloud systems are also new. And um, 
are relatively new, right? There's more and more folks uh, and organizations adopting the cloud and running uh, their systems in the cloud instead of running on a, in a data center. And uh, you know, as recently as 2019, uh, Capital One suffered the largest cloud security breach of all time in which over hundred million of their customers had uh, social security numbers and other data stolen about them. Uh, that, that particular attack was also just conducted by an amateur uh, who happened to have some good technical skills uh, and had no insider knowledge. Uh, and as compared to, you know, the Yahoo attack, which was conducted by four Russian hackers, two XFSB agents, uh, or compared to the um, colonial pipeline attack, which was uh, suspected to be done by a group of organized Russian cyber criminals, you know, the, the, the cloud security breach that occurred at Capital One was just done by an amateur. So I think that uh, there, there, there's a whole bunch of different threat actors, whether they be amateurs, organized cyber criminals, or nation states. And uh, the, the, the breaches have just pretty much continued getting, getting worse to the point now that uh, Joe Biden has issued a presidential executive order uh, around cybersecurity. Um, so that's a, a quick summary of some of the most recent breaches. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to know that, that Yahoo and Capital One, like Capital One is a leading, um, is a leading credit card company in our industry today, right? And that being attacked, that must have affected many, many, many people. Um, and, and I actually read about, uh, uh, read about the Capital One breach in your book. Uh, and, and it was very interesting and just, just like, uh, you gave the name of the person who did, I forgot the name, but uh, it must have been uh, a feat to break into the cloud, you know, or to, to break into their cloud system. Yeah, that, that, that attack was conducted by somebody who had the handle uh, erratic, uh, you know, I mentioned the real name of the chapter, of course, um, but, uh, you know, erratic was, a, was an amateur. Uh, she basically was able to identify two vulnerabilities in Capital One systems. And Capital One was a financial, and it is a financial institution that has aggressively adopted the cloud, more, you know, more so aggressively adopted than, than many other financial institutions. And they, they, they put in a lot of investment. They would be regularly presenting at Amazon Web Services reInvent conference on the, the new tech. And so there, there's, um, you know, I think that though, it does exhibit that if such a large institution uh, can be susceptible to such a significant breach that they also didn't detect themselves. Uh, somebody had wrote into their responsible disclosure list, letting them know that there was a hundred million credit applications in a GitHub or a GitLab repository. They should probably check it out. You know, uh, yeah, it kind of begs the question of what, what other breaches have already occurred at large institutions that we don't know about yet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and it's okay. So this leads into my next question. What are your visions for the future of internet and computer security? Like we already know that there have been many and you pose the question, like which which data breaches have gone unnoticed or just they haven't been talked about, right? So what are your visions? Like what do you want to see since you have since you have dedicated your life to this work? What do you want to see? What what are your visions? Well, I would love to see a I would love to see a future in which uh, there's much, much fewer data breaches occurring. And even when data breaches occur, the data that gets stolen uh, 
you know, is hopefully encrypted and useless to the attackers. Um, I think there's a lot that has to be done to, to get to that future. One of the things uh, that, that I do in the book is identify what are the three managerial root causes of breach and what are the six technical root causes of breach. We need more organizations to put countermeasures in place that, that address those uh, technical root causes of breach. Uh, right now, unfortunately, there's many different security compliance standards, each of which require people to do put 200 plus controls in place. And uh, some of those controls are more important than others. Um, and while I think it is important to check the boxes and have all these security controls, what we need to do is that for the root causes of breach, we need to make sure we have scientifically effective, strong countermeasures in place, not just something to check the box. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, sometimes companies need to put more effort, even though they're already putting effort, they need to put even more because we already know what, what can happen. Yes, yeah, so um, even if you're in the right things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now I want to talk about your educate or, or your education and what you did at Stanford because I was reading and it said that you uh, you found uh, you uh, you co-founded the Stanford Advanced Security Certification Program. Uh, you co-founded it. Yeah. So why did you feel the need for this program and what avenues and career paths would this open up for students pursuing this program? Sure. So I'll tell you back in uh, 2006. Um, you know, I think shortly after I had I finished up my PhD. Um, Myself and uh, Dan Bonet and John Mitchell, um, who are both uh, full-time faculty members at Stanford, and, and John's in fact running the department, and Dan Bonet is an absolute luminary in the field of cryptography and security in general. He's the most uh, system-savvy cryptographer I've ever met. The three of us had a hypothesis. The hypothesis was that there are not enough people in the cybersecurity field. And uh, so we basically created a program, the Stanford Advanced Cybersecurity Program, that was able to help bring people from other technically adjacent fields, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, into the field of cybersecurity, leveraging a, a core of science and engineering knowledge. And over, over the years, we've uh, helped bring in, um, you know, uh, over, over 10,000 people to take at least one of the courses. We've had over 2,000 uh, effectively achieve the advanced cybersecurity certifications. We're, we're, we were glad to help either bring them into the field or if they're already in the field, advance their skills and knowledge. Uh, but I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. If you look at sources like cyberseek.org, they say that there's approximately 500,000 open cybersecurity positions in the United States. There's only a million people working in the field in the United States. And so what that means is that for every person that we have, we need another half a person right away. And so, you know, I think back, going back to 2006, when Dan, John, and I co-founded the um, Stanford Advanced Cybersecurity Program, uh, our hypothesis was correct. There certainly were not enough people in the field back then. There's still not enough people in the field today, and we need to continue to grow the field. And so, so that's a little bit about uh, you know, how, that, how that program came together. And uh, we look forward to just continuing to see more people join the field of cybersecurity so that we can just get to a better state uh, you know, for the country and for the world. Yeah, it's, it's, that's really nice. You know, like, and and it had, to me, it has been successful because you've, you've influenced so many people's lives and you've given them a vision and a purpose. Like, hey, this is a possible, uh, this is a possible 
um, career path. This is this is where you can dedicate yourself to. Um, and so then, so then after you co-founded this program, uh, you went to work at many different companies, and you also co-founded Dacient. Uh, can you describe your experience co-founding a new tech startup, and how did your knowledge at Google, a previous company, help you in this process? Sure, I'd be happy to talk about that. So after after I finished up my PhD at, at Stanford, um, uh, I had I had joined Google. And one of the things that I saw as, a, as an engineer and a, as a product manager at Google is that the way that malware and malicious software was spreading on the internet was changing. It used to be the case that most malware would say come as an attachment to an email. And the risk was people clicking on that attachment and then that attachment runs and infects the computer and then say tries to spread to all the contacts and address. And, and, and that still is uh, a way that malware can spread. But what, what, I had, what, what myself and many others had started noticing was that the way that malware was spreading had started to occur by what's called drive-by download, where you simply visit a website on a desktop machine or on a mobile phone. You simply visit the website, and just by loading a web page, your machine gets infected. And there's a whole set of technology as to how that happens. Um, you know, so no user interaction required at all. What an attacker can do is basically compromise a website, inject some JavaScript code on there, such that when that site gets visited, um, the, the browser gets fingerprinted, the attacker within just a few hundred milliseconds has a database look up what are all the vulnerabilities that that browser and all the third-party plugins have and sends down a piece of shell code a piece of malicious code that will be able to infect the mobile phone or the machine uh, just within a couple hundred milliseconds of loading the page. So we had identified that that is a, a, a big change, a big technological change in how malicious software was spreading. And that uh, encouraged myself and my co-founders at Dacian to say, you know what, we need to bring a defense that uh, websites and ad networks can adopt uh, certainly, Google had great defenses in that place and continued to make it better and better and better. But uh, there were a whole bunch of other organizations that, that didn't have that level of defense. Google had, in fact, started uh, annotating their search results with websites that got infected and added the annotation saying, warning, this site may harm your computer when displaying the search results. And what would happen for such sites is that their e-commerce revenue would just drop to zero almost immediately. And they, they needed a, a defense that could help identify when their site was attacked in that way before Google noticed. And that's what we built at Dacians. So, you know, I think the, the technological trends that I saw uh, during the time at Google and that my co-founder saw encouraged us to put together uh, technology that would be able to help other companies and other organizations. Uh, and it was really a, a very kind of organic uh, thing. And I think that basically when people go out and want to start a new company, looking at what technological shifts are taking place in the world uh, may be a very good thing to look at. And if you have specific insights as to uh, how those technological shifts will continue to change and what you can do, what kind of technology you can bring to the table to help the world adapt to those technological shifts, uh, so much the better. There's been many other startups that have uh, started by keeping those kinds of things in mind and having those kinds of things at the heart of the development of the startup. Yeah, it's, so there's always another level of security that you can, um, that, that you can install between yourself, the user, and then the site that you're visiting, right? So, and you also 
you, you participated in, uh, in a thing called Cyber Tank, right? And we've all heard of Shark Tank, but what is Cyber Tank and what did you pitch there? Like what, what, what program or what, what did you pitch there? Let, let me actually talk about that and, and, and clarify a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I, had, I had a great experience as, a, as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, Google Ventures funded uh, the company Dacient that I co-founded. Um, we got acquired by Twitter within just a couple of years because they wanted those defenses uh, for, for their users before they went for their IPO. Um, and so I had such a great experience uh, being, being an entrepreneur and seeing, uh, helping build a company and seeing a good exit that, um, you know, many years later, uh, I decided to host a cybersecurity pitch competition. So, you know, uh, after my time at, uh, at Dacient and at Twitter, after I had acquired the company, I had, um, I had uh, served as a chief security officer at two companies. And then after that, I spent some time at uh, Trinity Ventures as an executive in residence there. And one of the one of the, the fun things that I brainstormed together with the partners there about is putting together this cyber tank competition, where effectively we uh, invited a whole bunch of cybersecurity early cybersecurity companies to pitch their ideas. Uh, I recruited a group of judges, mostly chief security officers, but some academics as well, and uh, had them uh, deliver their pitches. Uh, had them get feedback from the judges. Uh, I made two angel investments uh, to some of the companies that competed and Trinity Ventures uh, gave out a, a, a full pitch meeting as one of the, one of the prizes there. So I was, uh, I was really glad to help fund uh, you know, new, new entrepreneurs to go out and, and, and grow their ideas. Uh, so that's what CyberTank uh, was, was, was all about. The last CyberTank we held was in January was in January 2019 before the pandemic hit. And actually, uh, I'm going to be hosting the next Cyber Tank uh, in October of this year. Uh, if you go to cybertank.ventures, https uh, cybertank.ventures, uh, you'll see that we're accepting applications for cybersecurity uh, companies and cybersecurity products and ideas by September 17th. Uh, so I'd encourage folks to, to check that out, submit their ideas, and you know, uh, look forward to to helping uh, helping more people uh, continue to to innovate and bring new cybersecurity technology to the world. Um, given all the big breaches, we certainly need it. That's that that's unique. You just uh, it, it took Shark Tank and then you made it you made it in a way that helped you or and that helped other people. Pers uh, and and like you said with uh, with your program that you founded at Stanford, that you wanted to. Uh, give give students an uh, an idea into what what the cybersecurity field can offer, and this is an amazing uh, this is an amazing way. And I encourage our listeners to uh, and our viewers to uh, to go check it out when it comes out in October, because I'm um, I'm I'm sure it'll be an interesting uh, it'll be an interesting competition. Yes, yes. Uh, a lot of yeah. fun. Look forward to making it available uh, post the competition. Yeah, so. Uh, what is your advice for young people who have dreams of starting a business or a startup in any field? So I, 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 I would encourage them to uh, learn as much as they can about what are some of the big problems in the world. Um, I would encourage them to develop some domain expertise, um, you know, scientific or engineering oriented, uh, and figure out um, how they can 
impact one of the big problems in the world, uh, make, make that problem better through a product or service. Um, and you know, the, whole, the whole point of a business is to uh, grow in such a way so that you can not only, you can start by helping solve that problem for one or two people or 10 people, uh, and then, and then if, if, if it's working and, you know, say there's companies ready to pay for it, then you can use the, the revenue to uh, make, make, you know, get, get more footprint across, across more customers and basically uh, use business as a vehicle to create impactful change in the world. So, so that would be my advice to, to, to young entrepreneurs. So use, so use business as a vehicle to to impact change in the world that that's really inspiring you know like uh, so so to build so you're saying to build an interest or uh, to, to to build an interest explore and then use that with business to to change to change that's it exactly right you use business as a vehicle to bring impact and change in the world you know a lot a lot of people might be like okay i want to go start a company and make a lot of money well, if you, if you develop a useful product and service, yeah, you will make a lot of money, but I would look at that as the side effect. Look at the solving the problems and generating the impact, that should be the primary goal. The, the financial success should come as a side effect if you're, if you're, if you're actually solving the problems and, and doing a good job with uh, you know, marketing the product and service and getting it out to the world. That's, that's really inspiring advice. Um, so, and uh, so, so then this is an uh, th this is a follow up question. So, how do you make your uh, if 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 people have started a company, how do they how do they make the company if, uh, effectively stand out in an ever competitive field? Because the, the the because there's always going to be competition, no matter if you go into one field or another field. So, how do you stand out? How do you bring out your unique uh, your unique point? Sure, I'd be happy to, to chat about that. So the first thing to keep in mind is that if you're if you're uh, looking at solving a problem uh, that nobody else is and you have no competitors, uh, actually that should be a cause for concern. If there's a problem that's important enough, what's going to happen in the world is that you know uh, of the billions of people in the world, there's going to be at least a few that are interested in solving the same problem and that might have similar expertise. It's just the nature of the the, the law of large numbers and whatnot. Um, but then the question is, uh, how do you differentiate yourself from the from the other folks? Um, and there's many ways to to provide differentiation. Uh, one one way of differentiation is uh, technological innovation. Um, and I would say that if your product or service is innovative in some way um, that will lead to faster and more market adoption, that is the way to achieve success. There's, there's sometimes, you know, scientists and engineers uh, that I speak with, people that have scientific and engineering backgrounds, and they're like, great, I have this new way to solve something. Uh, I'll go file patents. And uh, the, the thing to keep in mind about patents is that patents are pretty much a defensive measure. It's, you, you can try to use them offensively, right, to say sue other companies that are infringing up on your idea. But when you're a startup, you're, you're, you're like three months away from uh, debt. You don't have financial resources of a large company. And so you should think about using your patents defensively. Focus on innovation, solving problems for the customer, getting market penetration. That is the way to achieve success offensively. Um, patents should be used defensively. Um, does that make sense? 
Yeah, that does. That does. So, uh, so just remember that there's always going to be competition and just remember your main focus of impacting change of solving a problem, a, ne a necessary problem in the world. Yes, that's correct. So uh, thank you, Dr. Daswani. Uh, it was it was really in interesting and inspiring. And I hope to all uh, to, to all our listeners and viewers that uh, it, it did the same for you. Uh, and it certainly was a pleasure learning about your experiences in the cybersecurity field, your uh, uh, your ventures, uh, cyber tank, everything, and how you integrate how you integrally combined your passion for cybersecurity with business and use it as a vehicle to impact change, like you said. Um, and our next interview will be with Mr. Rajiv Talreja and how he's involved in the real estate market with investing in properties and flipping them as well. Uh, Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you all enjoyed. Uh, thank you, Mr. Daswani, for your time. Great, yeah.